It's a great privilege to be here, and it's very good to see everyone. Seeking redemption in Bethlehem. We see in the end of Judges that the book of Judges does not end particularly well. Judges 21, 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What a terrible ending for a book right before the book of Ruth starts. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. I think we can start maybe to understand to some degree what this looks like. We live in a culture that's moving towards a similar state. We live in a culture where people today make similar types of arguments. Everything is relative. I need to follow my feelings. I cannot follow the Bible or any external objective thing. So in some ways, we are moving toward a culture that looks like that what we find in the Judges. In the Judges, we see cycles. We see repentance. We see people turning to God. God raising up these powerful judges, these very powerful men that were able to turn things around. But it doesn't work in the end. It ends with people doing what's right in their own eyes. It doesn't seem like these powerful judges are able to reverse it. So the book of Ruth really starts in a dark place. Is the promise to Abraham coming true when we end here with the judges? Will all the nations, all the families of the earth, will they be blessed through Abraham and his offspring? Will those who bless him be blessed and those who curse him will be cursed? It doesn't seem like this is coming true. This is a dark, dark, dark place. Can you imagine 400 years? Wouldn't you be pretty depressed reading or having to wait for 400 years and it ends in such a terrible way? But it gets worse than this. In Moab, we see idolatry, Baal worship, and infant sacrifice. We see a culture of death. We see this in the first verses of Ruth in chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. That's the introduction of Ruth. Emilek, who has a very interesting name, my God is king. He is the husband of Naomi and goes to Moab from the promised land. He goes from God's promised land to a land of death and idolatry. He takes everyone with him and he dies. Uh, his sons take Moabite women, Orpha and Ruth, and they lived in Moab for 10 years. And his sons, Mo, uh, Mahlon and Kilion, dies. And Naomi was left without her two boys and without her husband. I mean, can you imagine pretty much all, everyone in your family, like the males dying? This is a culture that your value as a woman is dependent upon having a male heir, having someone that can inherit everything. If you don't have that, you are doomed in this culture. How on earth can anything good come out of this situation? This is really almost as bad as it can get. Where will the people in the text seek redemption? In Moab or in Bethlehem? We'll be looking at three different things today that will help us to understand this topic. Number one, what is happening in the text? That is Ruth chapter 1, verse 6 to 22. What's happening in this text? Number one, Naomi chooses to return and seek redemption in Bethlehem. That is what's happening. Number two, Ruth decides to return and seek redemption in Bethlehem. Ruth joins her exodus. That's 11 to 18. 
This is who it's happening to. It's happening to Naomi and it's happening to Ruth. Number three, Naomi and Ruth arrives in Bethlehem. They go from Moab. They have an exodus from Moab to Bethlehem. First thing first, Naomi chose to return and seek redemption in Bethlehem. This is a start of a new exodus. Verse six to seven, there is food in Bethlehem and Naomi wants to go back. It's kind of ironic in this situation. I mean, she leaves by the choice of her husband, the house of bread, which is what Bethlehem means. I mean, how ironic, like during a famine, that you will leave the house of bread. That is quite an interesting way the words are being used here. And you go to the land of idolatry and death, to the land of Moab, because you have heard some rumors that things are a little bit better over there. Her husband and son dies, and she wants to go back to the house of bread. She hears the good news. That is, Naomi hears the good news. There was bread in Jerusalem. There was bread in Israel. God had intervened on behalf of his people. It's important to understand that Israel, the geography in the Old Testament, is in such a way that they're dependent upon the rain. This is God's covenantal land. It's unlike Egypt and other countries. In Egypt, there's the Nile. You can draw water from the river. You, by your own works, by your own ability, can go to the river and draw water. Therefore, you do not depend so much on rain. I grew up in a place with a lot of rain. I grew up on a, on a farm. So we have too much rain, which usually is, is a good problem for, for farmers. But even for farmers where I live, you know, they want more sun and, and less rain. This is very different than this culture. They want the rain. The rain shows that God is with his covenantal people. When God curses his people, he takes rain away from them. They don't have enough water to sustain themselves. And in an agricultural society where most people are farmers, this is essential. The rain is a symbol of God's grace. They cannot draw water from the rivers by their own work. So God has obviously showed grace to Israel again by giving rain, giving crops, and which means they will get food. In this kind of situation, Naomi arose, returned, and went back. And we see that how this Israelite woman is returning, and we see it through her lens. What does this show? It shows that Naomi, who is really in this culture now at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, she's a widow, she doesn't have any children really to pass things on, a male heir in particular. Emilek, on the other hand, had the name, God is my king. So the guy with the name, God is my king, is leaving the country, Israel, where God is king, to go to a country where God is not king. So it's really an interesting play of words in this book. It's, it's ironic that this man had this wonderful name, but he did not live up to his name. It was only in name that these things existed in his life. He did not practice what his name reflected. Naomi, a, a, a poor widow, and a woman in this culture, has a better sense of judgment than her own husband. She turns around and she starts a new exodus. And in verse 8 to 10, she commands her daughter-in-laws, Orpha and Ruth, to go home to their mother. It is a statement where she sends them home to remarry. Women's status in this culture is usually related to, to marriage and having children. Widow women have few rights as most are attached again to bearing sons. So to be a widow is really to be cursed, to be abandoned, and to be helpless. Naomi in this situation prays for Orpah and Ruth to be blessed. The Hebrew word here is 
hesed, which is love, kindness, and a covenantal kind of blessing and love. It's a very strong word. Naomi puts her trust in God and prays that these pagan Moabite women will be blessed by Yahweh, the God that is for all people, who extends beyond the border of Israel. We see already here in a culture where gods are local. There's a God in the mountains, a God in the sea. This is, the idea of a universal God is not a popular idea in this culture. But Naomi believes that this is a God for everyone, both for the Jews as well as the pagans. They respond to her saying, no, we will return with you to your people. This is an amazing statement. More, they are more attached to their widow's stepmother than to their own families. It must show some sort of amazing character that Naomi has, something about her. Why on earth would you attach yourself to a widow, to someone that doesn't really have anything to give you, someone that's at the bottom of society? This, in some ways, is a new exodus. It's an exodus away from sin, paganism, and slavery to God's covenantal promised land. Naomi has learned, and so has Orpha and Ruth, it seems like, that life is not found in Moab. It's a culture of death, a place where they sacrifice living children, children probably up to two years old or, or so. That is a terrible place to be, and maybe that's what led them to this decision. What can we learn from these things? We need to do and seek the things that bring us life. We need to identify sins and problems in our lives and the things that take us away from God. And we need to be like Naomi in this situation and not like Emilek. The name, my God is king, is only worthy of that name if you're living as God is king in our lives. We need to identify the sin, pray, and remove ourselves from it. There are habits that can leave us away from God, remove us from his presence. And we need to replace these habits with things that will bring us closer to him. Something I found very fruitful in, in, in our family, and, and we are by no means perfect, and I haven't always practiced this as, as much as I should, but it's to start the day with family worship, you know, to bring the whole family in with the children and everything. It's very hard to do with toddlers, very challenging and, and you know, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. I have to remind myself about that all the time. Uh, it's not easy, but uh, it's been a great thing to do. I think often the things we do, things we eat, obviously, shapes, uh, shape us what we become. Uh, but actually what we do as well, the habits that we form daily, will, will shape us much more than we think. Seeking God in the morning, just as the Israelites sought manna in the desert in the morning, has been a tremendous experience for us and helped us to grow closer to God, and also to avoid falling into sins as easily. And that brings us to the second point. Ruth decides to return and seek redemption in Bethlehem. That's in verse 11 to 18. We see the exodus, starting with Naomi. Ruth um, will join that exodus. And we see that in verse 11 to 14, that Naomi commands her daughters to go back to their mother's house. Her reasoning is that she cannot bear sons. And again, they cannot wait until the sons are old enough so they can marry. Orpha, who first wanted to follow Naomi, is finally persuaded by Naomi's argument. This is a very rational thing to tell someone. You know, if you're with me, you're going to be poor. You know, you're going to be this widow without children, anything. There is nothing to gain from being with me. Naomi is selfless in, in, in this way. She is, again, a widow without a male child. And she is practically being with a cursed person. 
Again, widow women have few rights, and most of them are attached to bearing sons. They are cursed, abandoned, and helpless. So Orpha here is, seems to be a, a virtuous woman, but she's acting in a completely rational way. And the book of Ruth, the narrator of this book, does not judge her or condemn her. It seems to be a perfectly reasonable thing to do. You would not join Naomi. That would actually be the irrational choice in this situation. So it's not a possibility for her at this point to do that. So Orpha decides to go back. Again, going with Naomi means a life as a widow. Naomi, again, is very selfless. But the author here is really kind of pointing to a situation which is hopelessness and despair. It is impossible now for the line to continue. You thought that the judges could not get worse than this, but it is getting worse. Now there is no line. There is no, no one to inherit any of the things that you have. Whatever property will exist, and, and there's nothing. Things are really terrible. All hope is lost. There's no sign at this point that there will ever be a Messiah born to this line. Naomi is not hiding her feelings, and that's one of the things I love about the Bible, that we can be honest with God. And Naomi is a true Israelite. She strives together with God, which is what Israel means. We're actually allowed to argue with God. You know, That's what Abraham does, and that's what many of the people in the Bible do. But she believes that the hand of the Lord is against her, that God's providence is working against her. And could you blame her in this situation for being frustrated when the people closest to you are dying? We see in verse 15 to 18 how things are changing. Let me just read these verses. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. This is really when things are starting to look a little bit brighter. Things are starting to, to turn around. We see that Ruther clings to her, the Hebrew word being used for marriage. You're clinging to someone, obviously not through marriage, but it's a strong word. Ruth will never give up being with Naomi. Ruth leaves everything. She leaves that culture with, which has some bad traits, but what things are, are at least food-wise, probably a little bit better than Israel. She leaves her family, and at this point, she devotes herself to the God of the Bible, to Yahweh. Notice here how Ruth uses the personal word for Yahweh. It would be for us to talk about God. You know, she believes in God. That's a wonderful thing. We can all agree to that. But actually, it would be, the difference would be to say, well, you know, what if you believe in Jesus? There is a big difference between believing in God and believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is much more personal, and people tend to be much more I think offended when you talk about Jesus compared to when you talk by God. Talk about God. So it's an amazing thing that we see here in the text that it is not Elohim, the general God, which is used in the Bible for all humanity. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. It's not the creator of the universe. It's the personal God that revealed Himself to Moses, that revealed Himself here to Naomi and Ruth. We see in Matthew ten thirty seven that you should leave your own family to be the disciples. Of Jesus, And this is what Ruth is doing here, even though Jesus uh, is not the one that commands her to do it in this situation. 
Ruth, attach yourself to the promise of Abraham. All the nations, all the families of the earth, all ethnic groups of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. And all you have to to do is to be like Abraham, to believe, to put your trust in the promises, put your trust in God. It's fascinating to see this. We see in Exodus uh, 12:38 it says a mixed multitude went with them some people who were very impressed by what they saw in Egypt when Moses led the Exodus they joined the Exodus and these people I would imagine would become a part of God's people a part of God's covenant we see a, a pagan Egyptian people to see these plagues you see the pharaoh is being put down to her his knees and we, we see all these things happening. And these people are joining God's covenant as a result of this. All these pagans. The, the, everything was always meant for the non-Jew as well as the Jew. For the pagans. Ruth does not see plagues coming down from heaven. She does not see miracles. She doesn't see the Red Sea being divided. She sees really only death around her. She was not promised children. And she was not promised wonderful things like Abraham. She was not promised great blessings. Ruth is in some ways greater than Moses and Abraham when it comes to having faith and having trust. She doesn't see almost any of these great miracles, but she is so confident that she ought to follow Naomi and to follow her to the promised land, you know, to become and to dwell among God's people. She shows the greatest faith, really, almost of anyone in the Bible she has really not much that, she, that is put before her, but the little that she does see, she's able to put her faith in that. It's a fascinating thing, the way this book is written, because if she's a non-Israelite, a pagan woman, shows greater insight about God than God's own people. Emilek, my, my God is king. It was just a name. He did not believe that God was king. Ruth, who did not have that name, really did believe that God was king. Maybe it was the darkness of infant sacrifice that helped Ruth to see these things. Maybe the Moabite culture was so terrible that she wanted to be brought into the light. Maybe the darkness is so dark that you can see the light shine more clearly in Israel. That is possible. I don't know what it was. Whatever Ruth has seen, it is enough for her to join the exodus of Naomi back to Israel, back to God's covenant And she trusts the promises of God. There's a lot we can learn from this. And one of the things we can learn is to join the exodus. Sometimes moving is necessary. If people sacrifice children, your neighbor doing that, that's probably a good reason for you to move. That might be the obvious example. But there are other examples that are less obvious than that. Move to find a good church, a good community, or it could be even moving within a city. I mean, thankfully here in Tent, you have a great church which preaches the word. But in Norway, I had a different kind of problem. I could not find, and for two years where we lived there, it was hard to find a church community. So for us, it was really two choices. Either we plant a church or we move to the place where they have a church, most likely a different country. We decided to plant the church, and, and thankfully so far that has worked out pretty well. So it's been a, been a great blessing. But sometimes you have to move. You have to move from one place to another to be able to get to these things. And now many people who, who, who would move to places where they can find a good church, 
the location and, and, and place we live at is not the most important thing. It's the church and the people that we surround us with that is important. Are these people who can bring us close to God? And can we be able to reach the community as a result of that? And that brings us to the third point. Naomi and Ruth arrives in Bethlehem. And it's verse 19 to 22. Where does this happen? It happens from Moab to Bethlehem. You know, it's a new exodus. An exodus from paganism to God's promised land. From Egypt to the promised land. You see these parallels all over the Bible. Verse 19 to 22. Naomi goes to Bethlehem. Naomi refers to herself as Mara. Which means that God has dealt bitterly with her. That's how she feels about it. Even though that's not the case as we'll see later in the book. And they arrive at the beginning of the barley harvest. And people are surprised to see Naomi. Naomi left the house of bread as a pleasant woman and comes back with a different name, Mara, a bitter woman. It's almost like Moab has drained the life out of her. That the very life emotionally, spiritually, and and even physically has been drained out of her. And she is an angry, bitter woman as the result. And can you really blame her? Losing your family, I mean, would I be been thrilled and happy all the time, you know, if I lost my family? She's not the same. She left to Moab and came back as a bitter woman. She leaves with life and comes back with death. From a biblical perspective, this should not be hard to understand. In Israel, in God's covenantal land, you know, you get life because you are with God and in his covenant. But in Moab, where paganism dominates, death is prominent. Naomi sees providence in God's hand, but she does not seem to see that it is her husband's decisions that brought them death, not God. And it's human causation through secondary causes that causes the famine in Israel and death in Moab. I think very often when people have experienced terrible things, uh, there was a, a person who himself be, being a Jew often talked to Holocaust survivors and very committed uh, Jew. And they told him, you know, I cannot believe in God after what happened. And he always responded saying, did God do these things or did man do it? Well, obviously man did it, the people did it. So why do you have faith in people and not in God? Shouldn't it be the opposite? Shouldn't you put your faith in God after something like that happened and lose all your faith in man? It's funny how the brain sometimes can, can fool us. When people do terrible things, we should get a greater faith in God. We need more God more than, than any time. And this is what, 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 we, what we see to some degree. We see that they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Even though at this point, you know, Naomi does not seem to have all the faith that she should have, eventually that will, that will change. In verse 22, we see that the barley is, is, a, is a grain that's for poor people. It's not the best grain. It doesn't have the highest quality like wheat. So it's really a, a food for poor people. It was held in a low esteem as a grain. But it's good enough. If you're hungry, you'll eat it, you know, and it's sufficient, you know, to stop some of the hunger. Redemption, we see here, is first sought in Moab and it brings death. But now redemption is sought in Bethlehem and food is found. God gives rain and spiritual life is pointed at, even though that barley here is not the best grain. Death is found in Moab and Naomi's exodus starts. She repents and Ruth joins her. And they arrive and they find bread. They find life in God's covenantal land. And this should not be a surprise to people who know the, 
the blessings and the curses that, that comes with the people who are faithful to God. This should not be a surprise, certainly at least to, not to Naomi. One of the things we can learn from this is that we need to seek life. And the physical bread today, we have a lot more of it than they had back then. A famine back then was quite dramatic. You would, you, you would die. A lot of more people died back then than they do now. We have medicine, other things. But we need the word of God. When Jesus is confronted with the devil in the wilderness, he quotes scripture back to the devil. We live of bread. We do not live of bread alone, but every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. We need to look for churches who are preaching the word. As we are planting churches in Norway, one of the two things that we try to focus on, and we are by no means perfect in any way, but it's to have a church that has a high view of the Bible. The Bible is the infallible and the standard for all the things that we do. And that we also exposit the Bible like they do here at Tent. We try to be faithful to doing that as, to the best of our ability. To have a high view of the Bible and to proclaim the Bible. So people can be fed spiritually. So they can get access to the bread of life. They can get Christ. They can get the word of God, which we need to feed from daily. Redemption is found in Bethlehem for Ruth and Naomi. And they finally sought redemption in the right place. They sought redemption in the house of bread. And about 1,000 plus years later, that promise of redemption was born in Bethlehem. The bread of life, which Jesus calls himself, was born in the house of bread. Jesus Christ, who is our life, was born in the very place Naomi and Ruth found bread and life. That is physical bread and life for them. But for us, it's spiritual bread and life. And it always fascinated me how people responded to this when Jesus came. When the manna came from heaven, when Jesus himself came from heaven, when the bread of life came to the house of bread and he came down when he was born in the manger. How did people respond to this? And how do we as Christians respond to this today? We see in Matthew 2, 16, that Herod, who was a Jew, as well as many of the scribes with him, a lot of these people responded, especially Herod in particular, either with apathy or with Herod, that he wanted to kill baby Jesus. We see the pagan wise men who would probably be people who read the stars, maybe people who would read horoscopes today, experts in interpreting the stars. These pagan wise men who were not a part of God's people understood the things of God better than God's own people. God's salvation is for everyone. We see that in John 4.14 when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman, when Jesus refers to himself as, as the water that will stop the thirst for all eternity. We see in, in John 4, 25 to 26, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is a Samaritan woman who mixed a lot of paganism within some, a little bit maybe of some Jewish uh, Israelite views. But this is ultimately someone that the Jews looked down upon, someone that would not have been able to perceive the promises and see the prophecies and see who Christ was. But Jesus revealed himself 
to the pagan root as well as the, to the Samaritan woman. And we see this being repeated you know, in, in, in Jonah, the prophet, who reaches out to Nineveh, you know, the pagan nation. We see the prodigal son. We see it so many times in the Bible that the salvation is for everyone. Everyone who seeks redemption in Bethlehem will find it. Ruth, the pagan Moabite woman, shows us, together with all these other people, that salvation is for all. And we need to ask ourselves, are we seeking redemption in Moab or in Bethlehem? Are we seeking redemption in Christ or in idols? I mean, John Calvin said that our hearts are like factories of idols. Even as Christians, we have the ability, and I will include myself with that, to produce idolatry out of almost everything. And every single day, we need to fight with the power of the Holy Spirit against this idolatrous instinct. And in the Bible, we as, as Christians should keep in mind here that very often in the Bible, not always, but quite often, it is the most religious people who don't see the things of God and, and sometimes don't even see Christ, while sometimes the sinners can see him very clearly. That should bring us down to the knees and to be humble and to think we also need the gospel daily in all the things that we do. So let's heed this warning and let's look at Ruth as an example. The very woman, the poor widow woman who Christ's lineage chose to come from. In Bethlehem, through the lineage of this woman, Christ was born. And we need to heed the warnings and also be encouraged by this text that we seek redemption in Bethlehem, in the house of bread, with the bread of life. And that we oppose idols in our own hearts that we are inclined to follow. Christ died for us. And let's go out and try to the best of our ability with all our faults and mistakes to live in his grace and try to live for him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all your good gifts. And I pray that the example of Ruth, which points towards you, is an example that we all will be inspired by. And that we will be reminded that we also need to have our eyes open daily so we can see the things of yours. We need the grace as much as everyone else. I pray that you will keep us humble, that you will give us wisdom to navigate through this difficult time, especially during COVID, and give us wisdom to be good witnesses, to be good stewards of what you have given us, and to be faithful servants, and to learn from this passage as well as the book of Ruth that we need to feast upon the bread of life, which is you. And that you remind us about that as well when we take communion, that we are eating from a bread that gives us eternity. It will stop our hunger forever. Thank you for all these good things. In your name, Jesus, amen.